Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and I'm very excited to tell you that our guest today is one of those authors whose name should just become its own adjective. You know, Kafka-esque. Pynchon-esque, Flynn-esque. You know Gillian Flynn as the genre-redefining writer behind Gone Girl, both the 2012 novel and the 2014 movie adaptation. Since Gone Girl, she has only written for the screen. She adapted her book Sharp Objects for HBO, and she also wrote this great lady heist movie in 2018 called Widows. She just wrote a new TV series. It's called Utopia, and it's based on a British show that came out back in 2013. The new version is now out on Amazon Prime. So Utopia opens with a couple who's just inherited a house from a hoarder, and they're going through a bunch of stuff, and they find some drawings from, like, a comic book. Let's take a listen. The hell is this? Don't look, just dumped. Utopia. It's like a comic book or something. Crap. What's your grandpa into? Ugh. Just throw it out. Wait, hang on. Hang on. Utopia. The conclusion to dystopia. So there's more of this shit out there. What are you doing? This could be worth something. <laughs> Some guy last year found an old Batman comic in his attic. Sold it for like a million bucks. From there, we learn this comic book does indeed have like a huge cult following. Some just think it's fun and others think it can predict pandemics and dedicate their lives to unraveling the mystery. There are also some very powerful forces who want to get their hands on this comic. And it is fair to say that nobody has a lot of rules about what they won't do in order to get it. Today, we're going to talk to Gillian about Utopia and Gone Girl and her next project, which just happens to be a new novel. You heard it here first. Gillian, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to talk to you about this like very strange and complicated show. (laughs) (laughs) So as I mentioned, Utopia was originally a British TV series. What was so appealing to you about, about thinking about redoing it? I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not someone who's like the, the first one was amazing. Let's do it again. You know, um, Mm -hmm. more often than not, I'm like, why would you do it again? If the first one was great, but this one, you know, Dennis Kelly wrote the original and it had so much to it. It was so, the world was fun. The story was, was interesting to me. It had this, real capability of feeling like a very global thing. Like, where are we literally in humanity? Um, what, what are the choices that we're making, um, you know, environmentally, politically, you know, humanly, and where are they taking us? Um, and it was also a great conspiracy thriller 
And to me, it felt that felt like a very timely thing to do that were, you know, this was again, back at 2013. And it's only become I more know, so this seems even timelier. Yeah, yeah, did come only more so where we've coming to a way where we were starting to sacrifice the the shared belief that there is such a thing as truth, evidentiary truth, you know, that, that I can say that it's my opinion that there's no such thing as gravity, but there is a shared belief that there is such a thing as gravity. And I, you know, I just think we're becoming to this point where between, you know, our news feeds and social media feeds and reinforcing our, our, our own beliefs that, that, we're in this very slippery place where opinion can take over what is provable. Um, and so I thought it was, it was kind of the right time to look at that and, and what easily manipulated humans we are if, if we allow that to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think part of what makes any compelling story so good is, is when it's close to real life. But as you mentioned, like we also have the pandemic going on in addition to sort of like increased, attention to conspiracy theories do you ever wonder if maybe the story is hitting too close to home at this precise moment in time you know it it certainly was not <laughs> planned to tie into any sort of real life um sure pandemic i mean i uh in fact when i was trying to to sell it uh you know there was a lot of questions like you know is this science fiction no it's not science fiction but you know it's going to feel very real world and um mm-hmm. i to me, my belief is if it, you know, it, it is a conspiracy thriller that has a pandemic plotline to it. It's not a pandemic story. I was never setting right. out to do outbreak or any sort of medical procedural mm-hmm. type of thing. And that, you know, if it does feel too close to home for some people, they won't, they won't watch it. And I completely respect that. And, but if people do it, it, it may provide a, a sort of outlet or, you know, I've, I've always loved the ability of, of pop culture books or movies or music to give us a vocabulary and a means to talk about things that are on our minds, you know, and, and you can start out talking about what's entertainment and roll into kind of a deeper discussion. And that's kind of what I've always tried to do with, with what I write, you know, with Gone Girl, I wanted to talk about marriage and gender and and mm-hmm. what's on the surface versus what's true and i've i've always loved that about genres that it can talk about big things and still not feel like homework you know still not be the, the <laughs> book that sits on your bedside table that you never ever crack because you know it, it it just feels too too much or the the respected tv series that you that sits piling up on your DVR. Like I, totally. I've, I've never felt guilty about entertaining people while saying, uh, you know, bigger things. Yeah. Well, and this is also legitimately funny too. Like it, there are laugh out loud moments in it, even though it's also super dark and violent and strange. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would say it was oddly enough is probably both my darkest show and my funniest. At the same time. <laughs> it's just very That's weird. <laughs> So I want to listen to another clip. This is also in the first episode and it's a bunch of nerds. They're at the con. They're hanging out at a bar and they're talking about how awesome this comic dystopia is. And, and they're all dressed up as different characters from the comic. Hello. 
I'm Jimmy. I'm dressed as Jessica Hyde, clearly. Her dad was a genius scientist. But Mr. Rabbit forced him to make unspeakable well, diseases, I... or else Mr. Rabbit would kill Jessica. Yeah, so now they're on the run, being chased by the harvest. I'm Artemis. Not supposed to be purple. It's violet. Whatever. Ebola. MERS. Zika. Someone is taking diseases and weaponizing them. Loosing them upon us. And you guys are obsessing over stories? Guys, Jessica Hyde isn't real. But you know what is real? The disease is hidden in dystopia. God, you're one of those, huh? Signs and portents. <laughs> it all has to mean something. It does mean something. I love this clip for a couple of reasons. Um, for one, just because of like the mansplaining inherent in any nerd culture. I feel like you really embrace that in there. But I also feel like this that clip and the story in general says something really interesting about about fandom in the sense of like it's super cool to be obsessed with you know like your hunger games your like crazy post-apocalyptic like murder spree comic book or whatever as long as the characters and the themes don't actually exist in real life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i mean i uh, i wrote that from the ultimate fan perspective. You know, I made my living, I was 10 years, wrote for Entertainment Weekly, and some of my best friends in the world are still from that era because we love to sit around and just talk about the stuff that we love. Like, I I think in a a world that is sometimes short in passion, I have a real Mm. true affinity for people who love their stuff you know like i whether you know whatever it is whether it's you know a comic book or a tv show or you know model train building like i love to hear about it i just think it's it's fascinating what people you know get into and but i have had arguments with some of my friends whether or not comics would be taken as seriously as they are starting to be or have started to be um Mm -hmm. if they were a, a female dominated medium if they were monetized by women all four women written for women and you know i I know that's becoming more and more female um involved but it it, yeah i feel like we're working on it it's still male dominated you know and whether whether it would would have that element if it were all about women yeah that's a that's a great question uh i mean and the answer is probably not right i think the answer is not i really do so this is not the first project that you have filmed in Chicago. I wonder why? Why Chicago? You know, Chicago is um, it's the best. I, I just really, I am, I remember, I still remember, you know, as a kid from Kansas City who hadn't traveled much in the, you know, I was probably nine or 10 and we took a road trip up to Chicago and seeing this city just come out of the prairie and (laughs) it blew my mind. I just, I remember being both thrilled and, you know, very nervous at the same time. because I Mm. had just never experienced anything like it and thinking like, wow, when I'm big, like this is my city. (laughs) And I really wanted to use Chicago. I didn't want to, you know, it's my pet peeve when you're watching something and it's like, you see the skyline of Chicago and then you pan down and it's like, that's Toronto. That's not Chicago. Yeah, like totally. Chicago is so impossible to fake. Cause it's just, I love that it's such its own city. Like you yeah. see those bungalows, you see, you know, you see just certain pieces of architecture and you know, it's Chicago. And to me, to be able to be, 
filming a story that's about things hidden in plain sight and everything's not what it seems and film it in a city where there's so much to look at, you know, architecturally and, and visually. And when the sun, you know, it's kind of a prairie town uh, as far as the flatness of it. And so when the sun hits those <laughs> certain degrees, the angles and the light and the shadows are just unbelievable. And to me, it was, it was just perfect. And, you know, I was, so I was really thrilled, you know, we filmed every single bit of it in Chicago and <sighs> the burbs around. That's really cool. So with Utopia, you mentioned themes around like truth and opinion and what is and isn't provable. Do you think when it comes to Utopia, I haven't seen all eight episodes yet, but like for people who do, is there something that you're kind of hoping that they're going to leave the series with? You know, I never set out, you know, with a sort of, this is the lesson I'm teaching, or this is the ultimate, you know, theme that you must come away with. But what I, what I do always think is, I hope people talk about this. I hope people have an interesting conversation about this and what, you know, whether, whether they like or don't like the show. And I, and this is really true. I, I, if, as long as I have an interesting conversation about it, I would so much rather that than, you know, the, you consume it and go like, yeah, I liked it. And then and never think about it again. I've certainly, I've had people wait in line for Gone Girl and I had a woman come up, slam the book down on my table and say, <laughs> my book club made me read this. I hated this book. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like, tell me, tell me why, what, you know, what is it? And, you know, that version was always usually, uh, you know, that there's, that it had no justice in it. It doesn't have justice. Mm. Um, which is like, what, what about that book led you to believe there was going to be justice? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so just, just to be able, you know, to whatever it is that sparks you, whether it's, you know, environmental portion or the conspiracy portion or certain characters you connect with. I just, I, that's what I always hope. So your first book came out 15 years ago now, or I think almost 15 years ago. Um, and Gone Girl came out in 2012. You have written a short story since then, but other than that, it's been all stuff for the screen, either adaptations of Gone Girl, uh, which was a movie, or Sharp Objects for HBO, Widows, the Lady Heist film, and now Utopia. I wonder, like, what itch does writing for the screen scratch that writing a book doesn't? Oh, that's, that's a very good question. Is I it a super annoying question? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the collaboration of it. I'm mm -hmm. also just a massive movie person. My dad is a film professor. And so I grew up, that was, was the coin of the realm in our household was what, you know, he still starts every conversation with, you know, what have you seen lately? Hmm. So you know, movies have just always had a really special place in my heart to me. And so, you know, it's, it's been, and it's, it's fun after spending so much of your a large chunk of your adulthood by yourself right? Uh, to kind of get out there and, and to collaborate and see all these pieces come together in this just an amazing way. It certainly makes you wonder how movies or TV ever get made, much less really good stuff. Cause there's just so many, 
the personalities and, and and all the different moving parts and all the randomness that can happen. But but you know that said, I um, you know my next project is finishing the novel that I've been really uh, backburnered for for so long. So I'm really I'm in the middle of it. Um, you know, this year was supposed to be uh, all about finishing it, and instead I was relearning long division and state capitals with my kids but um as one does yeah but that that is or or as one doesn't when it comes to math but (laughs) (laughs) um but uh yeah that's that is i'm aching to get back to it i'm aching to finish it i i I just need the uh time frankly wow that's really good to hear because yeah i was wondering if if you were thinking about going back or if you really had just kind of found your sweet spot with screen and you were over no absolutely not and it had always been my intention to you know uh, being lucky enough you know if i can to kind of go back and forth you know between two just hasn't gotten done yet it takes me i'm not a quick writer um so it just it takes me a little bit longer but i'll get there that's yeah, I don't know, because partly I was so fascinated by your story because it's like here you are. I mean, I kind of feel like you blew up the genre with Gone Girl. I feel like that book after that, it was like everybody, I think from both like a publishing standpoint and just the po- point of view of a reader, it's like everybody's just looking for the next Gone Girl, you know? <laughs> and so then to think about like what your literal next Gone Girl or next book is going to be after Gone Girl, I'm just like can you tell us anything about it or are you, you don't want to jinx it probably. I'm not quite ready to talk about it much, but I, I will tell you the thing that it's different about mine is it, it's not just between two people. I've, I've spent most of my novels, you know, I write, I really, I talk about larger themes, you know, like a female aggression and female violence, sure. especially generationally and sharp objects. But the focus was on, the three people, the three women in that house. Yeah, or, often there's sort of like a claustrophobia. Yeah. Yeah, a Gone Girl where it's between a husband and a wife. Um, this one has more characters. I think writing Utopia made me brave enough to want to have a story that's set a bit more in a big, broader world. And um, it's very recognizable otherwise. It's got a lot of nasty, feral. <laughs> <laughs> women in it and some good ones too I thought oh some good ones. Ooh, I'm so excited that's very exciting news um so before I let you go I want to ask you one last question which might be super obnoxious but we'll see um <laughs> it is what have you done today to earn your place in this crowded world <laughs> that is only appropriate to be that in return um <laughs> I guess I could explain the point of the question, which is that this is this is kind of a mantra in the show in Utopia. It's like a thing that people ask each other. And I don't know. I just thought it, I, it was like either this is going to be super annoying and like everyone has done this to you or it'll be kind of a fun kicker. No one has done it for me. <laughs> well, that's I, good. I guess I don't know if this counts as earning, but it goes to the heart of it, which is sort of like always be engaged in the world. And I think that's certainly, you know, when we we're finding ourselves teaching our children not quite knowing what to do we came to this sort of solution of like you know what it doesn't matter if we're not 
doing absolutely everything on the third grade curriculum. Let's keep them engaged and curious. You know, that's going to be our goal. Like if we, if we can do that and expose them to new things, let, you know, like I taught my son about the French revolution and exploited factory workers by, we listened to Les Mis one day and just sat and went through <laughs> each, each song. So um, today I, I do start almost every day by, with my Merriam Webster's word of the day that I get Ooh. sent to me. Uh-huh. So I learned the core origin of the word braggadocio. No shit. What is it? Oh shit. The English poet Edmund Spencer created the word as a personification oh. of boasting in his epic poem, The Fairy Queen. The Fairy Queen. Weird. That? That's way cool. That's a fun what? fact. You're welcome, Greta. <laughs> <laughs> now you don't have to do anything in. else today. <laughs> we can both just call it a day. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> Gillian Flynn, thank you so much. It was It's always a pleasure to talk with you. It's always great to talk with you. Thank you. Gillian Flynn, absolute delight. Utopia is out now on Amazon Prime. And, you know, if you are somehow like the last person on Earth who has not actually read Gone Girl, I recommend it. You should totally check it out. All right, one more word nerd thing you don't want to miss in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So this is probably going to surprise exactly none of you, but I love the Oxford English Dictionary. I am obsessed. It's special for a couple different reasons. It's been around for a really long time. It also doesn't focus as much on like specific definitions of words as much as it tracks like the first time these words came into existence, which I just think is always super interesting. The OED has been around for over a thousand years, which means it's got a lot of like hyper academic etymological heft. But what I think is really cool about the OED is that they add new words to the dictionary several times every year because English is an evolving language. I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, Yes, I am yelling at you about this. So last week, the OED added some really good ones that I thought were worth mentioning to you. Uh, we have back sass, both as a noun, I refuse to accept your back sass, and as a transitive verb, don't you dare back sass me. We also have bogosity, the quality or fact of being bogus, which is excellent, and crafternoon, and craftivism, and cookie monster is in there now too. Pretty cool, right? Okay, that's it for today. Try to keep your bogosity levels low, and we will see you on Friday. 
Goodbye. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.